0: Uh, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. The scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There, he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted, let there be no one dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostole, apostolic uh ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they call then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Mm, thank you. God bless the reading of the word.
1: Yeah, thank you. Through our worship service so far this morning, um, the pattern is is that we're wading into the pool together. We didn't jump into the deep end from the very beginning. All right, I, I want you to visualize this, because when we get to the end of the teaching, we're going to need to call, be called to prayer. There are things that are happening in the world that we need to be praying over, especially parts around Syria right now and in the Middle East. And there's a lot of other places that we could list, and that's why we need to take a moment at the end of this and pray. But there's also a lot of sickness around that we need to be praying over. Um, and my family is is part of that. On Tuesday, Ginger's dad is going to be going in for a surgery to remove a growth that's appeared on his brain. Uh, we're not sure what it is, but they're needing to take it out quickly and, and do what scientists do and to hopefully come up with an answer for us that will um, tell some good news for our family. And so we're all experiencing different things. Now, let me bring it all to a picture for you. If if I do this well today, and we teach, and you understand, and we respond in prayer, I think we're going to be able to walk out with the song that we sang where we almost didn't let the worship team end it. We wanted it to keep going. And so some of you kept singing, even though they stepped away from the microphones and were ready to kind of end the song. But some of you, out of the joy of the song, out of maybe your own personal testimony, you were like, no, I'm never going to let it go, right? Um, and so we step into this song with, we're, he's never going to let us down. Now, the problem is, is that when our life circumstances happen, it feels like he has let us down. And so we just sang a song that says he never does, but yet many times we do feel. And I believe this Acts 1 addresses that. And, but it's, it's, it's kind of subtle. It's like behind the scenes, and it's kind of where my heart's been drawn to in light of the news my family's gotten this week and the light of what's happening in the world. It's very easy for us to lose sight of the truth, which I said at the very beginning. Where is Jesus? He's king. He's seated as king over his kingdom, and all of heaven and earth are coming together. So we lose sight of that. We're going to struggle with things that happen. And then we don't understand what the Holy Spirit's to do. We don't understand what we're supposed to do. When those confusing things set in, then we come up with different songs. You always let me down. And we've got to be really careful of how and when we use scriptures to our advantage and to our disadvantage. When we're trying to say, God, I should have everything already rolled out for me, because that's the longing in our heart. Our longing in our heart is that there's no pain. Our longing in our heart is is that people's relationships are right with each other. There is no more death, no more dying, no more sickness. those That's what's longing in us. And the scriptures talk about it in birthing language. And most of, uh, the, well, it rules out half the audience. Like most of us here in men can never fully understand that illustration. We live it vicariously, right? Um, and so we can claim that we had pain. But listen, your wife squeezing your hand to death does not qualify, And her saying a few harsh things to your face while she's doing that doesn't qualify. But to actually go through all the trimesters of pregnancy, you might then be able to get a glimpse of what it's really like for the hope that we're praying is coming is actually birthed. But yet the joy of that hope. And so we're struggling to make sense of the pain, to make sense of the confusion, to make sense of the things in life that are very difficult. And the disciples in this particular chapter are wrestling through that very same thing. Because when they're standing there looking up, it's very easy for us to envision it as, wow, Jesus just left us. He just let me down. Why would he leave me here? Why would he let me in the midst of this circumstances? And why would he tell me, I'm leaving you so that you can go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world? Does he not realize I've never traveled very far from home? Anyone anyway, wants me to go around the world? Does he not realize that the people in Jerusalem just rallied to kill him? And so very likely if we go out saying that Jesus is Lord, Rome will want to kill us, if we say, No, there's a new temple in Jesus, oh the temple's gonna to want to kill us, um, Jesus, you just left. And now I'm confused, and now I'm in a lot of discomfort and thoughts and all of this. And so I want us to feel, because I think it's really important that we look around the room, and it says in chapter 1 that there was approximately 120 people. Well, I mean, couldn't it, could we not have a real, a, a, a moment that might be a little bit real for us in Acts chapter 1? We're in an upper room, <laughs> dimly lit, <laughs> Um And rainy kind of outside, kind of dreary after a beautiful day yesterday, right? So a resurrected Jesus hanging out with him, He's he's cooking fish for us, talking to us about eternity, and then a rain cloud comes, and next thing you know, we're all gathered in a room, like, why did you leave us here? So I feel like we need to understand that this is very real. This is life. And they are not exempt. They were about ready to feel the same pains and frustrations and confusions, if not even more so than we have. And so... As that as an elongated introduction, let me jump into this because I have often wondered about this scene about heaven and earth, and I feel like it's important for me to take a moment to get us to the point where the disciples are looking up and realizing that Jesus did not just like Superman go back to his planet Krypton, right? I want you to if you have a a film in your mind, like some of you are more sci-fi, it's like Optimus Prime going to his. (laughs) planet at the end of whatever fifth sixth seventh movie it was when he decides to just boot right out of there next thing you know the guys are all standing there as he's rocketing through space and then he's in space with a shield and it's getting really red and hot and he's going you know that's not what was happening here jesus isn't in some part of the galaxy we haven't discovered yet called heaven Right? Like, that's not, like, he's not on some distant planet somewhere that he has access to that we don't have access to. And, like, he's gone on some rocket ship. And if we had the capacity and the technology, we could go find him. That's not what's happening here. That's not what the disciples were experiencing. And if we were Jewish in our understanding, we would then grasp the fact that heaven and earth coming together was common language to them. It was around the temple of God. Heaven and earth around the cloud of God, the cloud in the Old Testament, the hovering over the Ark of the Covenant, the uh, the protection in the desert. There's so many references to the cloud of God that was around, and he's caught up in that cloud. And so there's this upward language and this surrounding in a crowd language that many times can be confusing. But this is the thing that I want us to understand: heaven and earth are in the same reality. It just it's it's difficult to help us to, to grasp that. At Jesus' baptism, we get a little bit of a hint that it's like a veil is pulled back temporarily and where the heaven where God is and the earth where we are are joined together. And it's important for us to understand that the framework of the book of Acts isn't that Jesus went far, 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 far away. He is in a reality that right now he's the only one that can go to and from it. His resurrected body has already proven that he can be in heaven and be in earth. And so he's a beautiful picture of what the Bible is describing as the renewed earth. The renewed, where heaven and earth come together. And if our mentality is is that when we die, we go to heaven and, and earth is just a forgotten piece, we're going to struggle with a lot of what happens in the book of Acts. But the book of Acts is going to talk about the ways that God is doing this. But when we try to understand heaven in the Bible is God's space, that's what the Bible talks about. And if you want some more information on this, you can write it on your card, we can email it, I can share scriptures with you. But there's just numerous places that we could go where heaven is where God is and earth is our space. Now the problem is is that we've labeled the planet that we're on earth. In In the scriptural definition earth is everything that was created in genesis chapter one so when it talks about the earth is ours it's talking about everything god created so because we've labeled our planet earth we generally bring that type of interpretation to scripture so we think jesus has gone past the moon somewhere and he's hiding out for us when in actuality he is in god's space which was which was separated from the earth space and is now some kind of veil, barrier thing. But at resurrection, we're all going to experience it. So if I can take a risk in changing a little bit of our mentality, heaven, the way that most of us have been taught growing up, I grew up with with the mentality that I need my sins forgiven so I could be in heaven. Right? But the New Testament talks about God renewing the earth. Romans chapter 8 is a beautiful picture of all of that. And so if, if, if what I'm saying to you can help lay a, found, a groundwork for the book of Acts, this is what I want you to picture. If we die before Jesus comes back, we have a temporary place called heaven. But we're resurrected back to a renewed earth. That's the example Jesus gave us. So if you've already had a loved one that you've lost, and at the resurrection, they are now going to be like Christ and have this heaven and earth combination... And they're going to come back when the earth is renewed. So for some of us, we might still be alive at the second coming of Jesus. And he's going to come back in a cloud, according to Acts 1, just like he left. Now again, I'm trying to give you a visual imagery. Any of you in here, um, like Avengers fans, like you're into the Marvel stuff, would you just admit it by raising your hand? Any of you? Oh man, so who? Where? how is it making billions when only 10 of you raised your hand? <laughs> Is there a lot of people in here not willing to admit that in church, that you're a Marvel fan? All right. So there are a few of us that are Marvel fans, and I just want to tell you, not that you need to go to see the film, but there is a moment in this particular trailer release for the new film that's coming out where the new villain appears coming out of a cloud. Right? I just want you guys to understand this. All right? peaches got it. All right? That's just worth it. So the other 119 of you, hopefully that image will set in, but... There, that is a beautiful example, I feel like, and maybe even a, a slight example of what it looks like on the second coming when the cloud is there and next you know Jesus steps forth, right? Now where else do you think Marvel's getting their ideas from, right? I mean, they're going to go to the source of the most amazing ideas, which comes from God himself, right? And so Jesus, one of these days, is going to step out of the same cloud that he stepped into, And he's coming back. And he's coming back because what he and the Father and the Spirit made in Genesis 1 is good. It was listed as good every day of the week. And sin, our idolatry, destroyed that. And he's coming to repair it, to renew it, to restore it. And so when we look at Acts chapter 1, if we have a renewed, restoring, heaven and earth are really close together, but yet one day they're going to be all together in one, then we've got a a, a chance at understanding what's going to take place in the book of Acts. Because God has had a plan, and we talked about this leading up to Easter, where we see again and again in the Bible where he is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And he's in that plan He's working a plan. And I think that this is the part that I want you to understand. Because if we understand who the Father is and that Jesus is King and that we're a part of his kingdom, therefore we play a part, then we're going to understand the plan and then we're going to then be able to make sense of all the pain. Because the early church, they experienced sickness, they experienced persecution. They experienced military violence, as well as church violence, as well as community violence, but they also experienced what true community could look like, breaking bread together. I mean, we're going to see all throughout the pages of when they were persecuted by other religions, where they were persecuted by their own, where they were um, not understood by family. So every pain that you represent in the room today, we're going to find on the pages of Acts. Yet... They continued to persevere forward and they had a reputation of being joyous and giving people in the midst of all of that pain. So there is a connection between what you and I think about what Jesus is doing and what the Holy Spirit is doing and you and I making sense of pain in this world. And so as we're going to try to um, help, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be learning this myself along the way because I have a lot of questions. I haven't gotten it all figured out. But I do know this, is that God is not going to let us down. I do know that he has fulfilled his promises in Jesus. And so if there are any unfulfilled promises that we haven't experienced yet, if he's already kept all of these, why would he not keep those? right and so i want us to i want us to not lose sight of that the only problem is is that the majority of us in this room know what it feels like to be let down by somebody and so rather than us dealing with forgiveness with that person we take it out on god like if everybody else that bears your image is already letting me down then you're going to let me down and we can't let the evil one get that into us because the the work that we have to do is too important and so If we can begin to understand what's happening in this chapter with Jesus stepping into heaven and then watching that transition and begin to look at their response, I think we can lay a framework for what it's going to look like for us as a church moving forward. A couple of things that I think are important just to understand about church and what Luke is saying here. This idea of the Son of Man being lifted up in this Ancient of Days, I believe Luke is making a passionate Correlation to Daniel chapter 7. And so when you read Acts chapter 1, what passages do we need to go back to out of the Gospel of John that I referenced last week? John what? 14? Yep, John, well, technically John 13 through John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Did anybody go back and read those last week? Could you just give me some encouragement?
0: All right, yes.
1: There were some. And if you didn't, you need to go do that. How could you not? It's rich. It's powerful. It's encouraging. And so now we have another chapter you need to go back and look at is Daniel chapter 7. Because if you read Daniel 7 and you read Acts chapter 1, you're going to be like, oh, wow. That's what Luke was tying into. This powerful moment where God was dealing with things and setting things right, and now they got the chance to witness the next major piece. This is what's taking place in this dramatic scene. And what it's saying is, is that when Jesus is stepping into that cloud, all the other evil powers in the world are no longer in control. So if you tie Daniel 7 and Acts 1, evil's gone. Evil's dealt with. Now the problem is, is that we're still reconciling what it is like for us to continue to see evil in the world today, And and we can't let that impact us because they were experiencing the same thing. And so hopefully we can learn from them. The other thing that's really important here is there's a blatant, direct approach in Acts chapter 1 to first century people. And in first century, who literally thought they were the Lord of the world? Roman Caesar in particular. So not just Rome, but the Caesar. And he was Lord. He was the one that was over everything. And so in Acts chapter 1, there is a direct statement towards the current leadership in the world of Rome by saying to them, Oh, you know what? I know Titus is claiming to be the son of God because he was most likely the emperor at the around the time that this was written. And he said that his dad was at his death. They witnessed his spirit, not his body, but his spirit go up and form a star in the sky. And so he's like, so he's a god. And so that makes me a what? A son of a god, right? And so he could go around and tell everybody, oh, I'm a son of a god because they... And now Luke is writing. He's like, no, 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 no. The real king bodily was resurrected and is now seated on a heavenly throne. And if we can allow that to start to permeate our spirit, and not just be an intellectual historical fact, but we can literally start to let this set into who we are and allow it to encourage us, I think we'll be inspired like the early church was once the Holy Spirit gets involved. Because the statement that Luke is making here uh, in Acts to Theophilus, his friend, is that there is no Lord other than Jesus. There is nobody in more of a higher seat of authority than Jesus. He is king of the world. And so the first and most important response to this extraordinary yet unprecedented and even still harder to believe event is the course of their worship. We're going to see here, at a response of all of that, what did they do? It says that, um, that they devoted themselves to prayer. 120 people approximately in a room in the midst of everything that I just described to you. It's all starting to make sense to them, and they start to worship God. It wasn't a planned worship service. It wasn't a, let's come and be Sundays at 9, 9.30, um, and we're going to just start to worship God. It was they got together, and in the midst of reflecting and all of the pieces coming together together, of the, the witnesses telling them, look, you need to you need to go do what he told you to do, um, they, they, they their response was to worship. And we need to realize that the Mount of Olives wasn't very far from where they were and what just happened there. We need to also realize that the room where they had their meal in, it wasn't very far from there. And that now it's even listing Jesus, his mother, Jesus' mother is now present in the room with them. It's not just the 12. Well, the 11 and soon to be a 12th. There's 120 that are made up of men and women and and the disciples and other disciples, and they were sitting together, and they were allowing all of this to come together for them. All of these men, all of these, all those who are named here are worshiping him. But the thing that I think is really important, and we can overlook it, is that they had obviously been studying the scriptures. Because in this passage, they reference two chapters in Psalms. So I don't think Peter was just sitting there thinking, well, this is a tough deal. What do we do now? He actually had opened up what they had, which was the word of God to them, which would have been our Old Testament. And they start reading, and he comes across Psalms, um, chapter, hold on, what is it? Chapter 80-something, I believe. Hold on. I actually had it in my notes, and I flipped the page here. Um, psalms 109 and psalms um, uh, 89 i think is what it was i can't find it in my notes Um, but they're they're looking at these particular verses as a way of saying um, well what do we do now so they're praying and they haven't stopped praying and now they're looking at the scriptures and so they find in the scriptures that wait a minute it was predicted that somebody was going to betray jesus But because they had listened to Jesus, Jesus was saying, look, the gospel, the good news, this kingdom coming has got to come first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. They're like, well, what's the missing component? We've got to go out and talk to the Jewish people first. And so they made sense of it like, wait a minute, we have to have 12 represented because there's what in Israel? 12 tribes. I mean, we got 11. And it wasn't that they just randomly came up with, well, we got to replace Judas. They actually found it in the scriptures. And so they're in prayer, worshiping God, waiting for the spirit to come, but yet they're reading what they had available to them. And Peter's like, wait a minute. The Psalms that talk about the one and only true king actually talk about a betrayer and that betrayer needing to be replaced. And so they're like, okay, let's see. Let's look around the room. Okay, you guys are qualified. It comes down to you two. And they cast lots, and a lot of you like, well, that sounds really spiritual, right? But yet it was very much a common practice of the ways that they would see how God would work, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people at certain times to do certain things. That's why we have a lot of the letters in the Old Testament, was that a prophet would get the Holy Spirit for a little while, or a king, or somebody, it was coming, but they were about ready to have the Holy Spirit poured out on all of them, not just an individual. And so, so much of this is taking place in this particular passage of Scripture. And it's important for us to understand this. They were gathering together in prayer. They had been worshiping. They were looking at the Scriptures. And they were now walking in obedience to what that looked like. So what are we supposed to do? What do we do, according to what we're finding here when we're trying to make sense of life along the way? Well, I think, number one, we've got to become people that read the scriptures. Um, we've got to be people to pray. And we've got to worship. Because if we do that, what that allows us to do in those moments, it brings heaven and earth together. It allows God's will to be done here on earth because in where God is, his will is being done. But here on earth, it's not. But yet, when we take time to say, God, we need this reality of heaven and God's will being done here on earth, and we need to find wisdom to know what to do, where do we then turn? And we look at what the early church did, and they turned to their scriptures, they turned to prayer, and they turned to worship, and next thing you know, they made a great decision. So why could we not do those things? Could it be that simple at times? Now, again, I'm not trying to downplay the fact that these people were 120 in this room were really fearful that they might not live to see the next month because of whether Rome, the church, or whatever. But they were willing to trust in what God wanted for them to do. And so when we find, sorry, it was Psalm 69 and Psalms 109. It's actually right here in bold in my notes, and I'm looking right over it. It's it's funny. You actually bold it, and then you don't look at it. Um, It's uh, Psalm 69 and Psalms 109. All right, Lord, help me. so why, So here's my question in response to this so far, and I'm going to talk about the two that were just casted lots over at the end. But let me say this. Why do we struggle to read the Bible and pray? I mean, again, let's, just, let, let's, let's try to let it be authentic here just for a minute. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I just, oh, I can't wait to read the Bible all day long. You know, like I have some sort of fluffy pillow that I sit on. Like, oh, let me just read the Bible all day long. There are certain parts of the Bible that I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't want to read this. Because sometimes it's hard to make sense of it. It's hard to process it. There's things in it. But why do we have such a hard time disciplining ourselves? Even for the daily window that we practice, just taking a minute to take a deep breath and saying, God, you're God, I'm not, is a difficult practice for many of us to stop and do even just for a few moments. But yet, here's my thought. If we did read the Bible and pray, and we walked in this heaven and earth coming together already, we walked in the renewed will of God now, is it really hard for us to know what to do? Let me just give you a great example. I'm going to read a scripture to you. I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to listen. Tell me how complicated and confusing is this. That's sarcasm, all right? This is not very complicated. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading from verse 14. Just listen. Don't turn there. And I urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with a few. No. It says be patient with... Everyone. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So if I see somebody being idle, I should just ignore them? If I see somebody being disruptive, I should just let them be disruptive? I mean, does it get any clearer than look, warn those that are being idle, warn those that are being disruptive? Uh, Those people that are disheartened, man, our encouragers will go take care of that. No, if we see somebody disheartened, what are we supposed to do? Encourage them, help the weak. No, it's easier to hang out with the strong, isn't it? Can can we just, let's be honest, isn't it easier to hang out with people that don't have problems? Even though that's really a lie, we all have problems, right? But we just choose which problems are acceptable to us, right? But it's so much easier to hang out with a strong person than it is a weak person. Um, And then it says, be patient with everyone. Now, hold on a minute. Can I just confess to you, I was not patient with Michael's, um, like the craft store. Not Michael's, like a person, but the craft store people. My wife actually looked at me in shock, like, oh my goodness, I was not expecting this man to come to the register with me. But here's what happened. I went to return something to the store, and my wife had had it on her credit card, and I didn't have that number in my wallet, and they wouldn't let me return it, even though I had the receipt. And I was very confusing, and the way they represented it was very, needless to say, it didn't bring out the best in me. And so I said, great, void it, I'm leaving. I just took the stuff, and I said, Ginger can return it when she comes back. So then Ginger goes to return it when she came back. And they say, well, it's already been returned. Oh, Oh, no, that didn't go well for me. (laughs) Ginger texted me, like, and I'm in the car waiting for her, thinking she's just going to run it out. So I walk in, and I'm just confessing. I said, the buffoons at the store, (laughs) imbeciles, I said imbeciles, I said imbeciles. (laughs) I did. I used the word imbecile. And um, I went outside of the store, and I sat down on the bench, and I just said, Lord, I am just tired and weak. And was that not an example of the fact that if we're not careful, what comes out of us isn't what pleases the Lord. And under certain stresses and things like that, we can very quickly go in a very bad way. And so the only way that I avoid using words like imbecile is if I learn to be patient with everybody. And the only way I can prepare myself to be patient with everybody, according to what I've talked about today, which is three tried and true ingredients, are what? Prayer, prayer, prayer Scripture, prayer. and worship. If I am in that on a daily basis, I will not use the word imbecile. <laughs> not, out <loud. laughs> not out loud. I might think it, <laughs> right? I might think it, right? Right. <laughs> but yet I wouldn't use it. So let me continue on. I've only gotten through the first verse that I wanted to read to you. Like, Look, if it is is as simple as us worshiping God, realizing where God is and that His will needs to come into earth, and I'm worshiping Him there, I'm praying to Him there, and I am uh, in the process of reading the Scriptures, listen to what goes on after this. Make sure that nobody pays back a wrong for a wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Does that just mean that I need to do it for you or should I do it for everyone else? I mean, I think if we go back and study the Greek on this, I think everyone else means everyone else. <laughs> I, I don't think it's complicated. And then listen to what he says Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So let me just stop here. I'm going to read a little bit more, all right? If we connect to Acts chapter 1, we're going to realize that the disciples were understanding where Jesus went. They were understanding what they were to do until he came back. This is what's starting to make sense for them in Acts chapter 1 before the Holy Spirit falls on them to give them a public display of power. right? And so they are making sense of the Scriptures through prayer and worship. And it's starting to help them to understand what's happening. And then we have Paul writing this passage I'm reading to you after the Holy Spirit had come. But they were understanding that they were going to be tempted not to rejoice in all circumstances. They were going to be tempted to think that that I don't need to be thankful for this because this is painful. This is costing me something. And I'm not saying that it's easy. But when we pray and read the scriptures and seek after the Lord, I think we can let this become true because it was obviously true for them. And we can begin to make sense of it. And then, but this is an important part for us. Verse 19 of First Thessalonians 5. Don't quench the Spirit. We can't isolate ourselves from the Spirit's voice. Um, I'm in a movie kick this morning, so I'm sorry. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans and the little girl that was in it with the curly hair. Um, there's a moment where she's talking to the other coach's daughter in the bleachers and she just turns her hand to her face. You guys see that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of you are right now. Now you guys are tracking with me. I'll stop using superhero movie illustrations. Um, but she just basically is like, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. We've got to stop doing that to the Holy Spirit. Wow. We've got to stop raising our hand up and like, zip, 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 zip. stop. Because if the Holy Spirit is guiding us, we will become thankful. We will rejoice in all circumstances. We will not call people imbeciles. We will walk in sensitivity and love for other people, despite our personalities. And sorry, everything else that's going on, if we're staying connected to who God is. And then, listen, he says, don't quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Like, look, there's times where people are going to come up to you And there's there's scriptures we can go to and we'll help work through this, but where somebody's going to look at you in the name of Jesus and say something prophetic to you, even still to this day, we don't need to treat that with contempt, but we have to test them. There's actually instructions about witnesses and things that we're supposed to do, but yet when it's spoken to us, we should trust it. We shouldn't say, well, that's just your opinion, get away from me. But if we test it, we test it with scripture, we test it with prayer, we test it with witnesses, and everybody says, no, this is a burden you need to lay down, then what do you do? You lay it down. We've got to trust each other in the church again to say, look, I might not feel like doing this right now, but I'm going to trust this prophetic voice in my life. And we've got to hold on to what is good. You can't hold on to what is bad says hold on to what is good not hold reject every kind of evil and may god himself the god of peace sanctify you through and through and may your whole spirit like i wasn't sanctified through and through at the counter michael's wasn't it's a proof that god still has a great work to do in this man and i've got to let him do that work so that the body can be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want Jesus to step out of the cloud and for me to walk up to him and hug him and everybody be like, wow, you know Jesus? Jesus knows you. I mean, that's a part of the sanctification process of us getting to become more and more like Jesus when they see Jesus and us together like, oh, wait a minute, I can't tell you apart. But we've got to let that work happen even in the midst of the circumstances. In Acts, we're going to find all of the circumstances of pain and frustration and loss of life and death and for many different reasons and things that they experienced and the frustrations around work and life and poverty and joblessness and and having to worship with somebody that that was your master and then master's loving servants to honor God and then the ethnic diversity that that clouded the early church and the frustrations of them working all that out, they were working it all out because they took seriously that we need to be patient with everyone, that we need to not just focus on the people who are rejoicing but focus on the disheartened, we need to help the weak, that we need to figure out reasons to rejoice. We're not going to repay a wrong for a wrong and we're not going to be disruptive. They just they, they took it seriously and started to walk in it, and so if we tie ourselves to scripture and to prayer and to um, this idea of really truly worshiping God and it really gets into us, then we 're going to make decisions like they did with the um, uh, election of matthias, but yet, I feel so bad um, for the fact that um, this other particular gentleman. Why am I drawing a mental blank? What was his name? Um, Joseph of um, Barsabas. They called him Justice. I mean, he was in the top two. And he wasn't picked. But remember, he was chosen by casting lots. So if the lots had been cast and foul on him, that means the disciples would have trusted him fully, right? So he was such a quality individual that... Had the lots fallen on him, the disciples were prepared to go either way. But the, the lots fell on somebody else. Now, can, I feel like this is such an important thing for us not to miss out on this passage before we get distracted by the power that comes in Acts 2. There's no small task in God's family. I, I, I need you guys to listen to me. Number one, there's no idleness in God's family. We've already talked about that in 1 Thessalonians 5. So it doesn't mean that Matthias got elected, therefore justice just said, well, I'm out. He was still in the 120. He was still there. No, It doesn't say any of them left. But yet he was willing to let somebody else take a spot that only one person could fill. And so we have no other history of what these two guys did. But there's no illusion in Scripture that any didn't even quit. That he even got disheartened. Like, wait a minute, I wasn't picked. <laughs> and just walked away we have a serious competition problem within the body of christ there are pastors that don't like to work together there's churches that don't like each other and we're still struggling between this idea of god's favor and who gets something and who doesn't get something when in actuality the point is is what does jesus want that's what happens that's what should we should want to happen and so whatever jesus wants we go do And if Jesus wants somebody else to fulfill a role, then why not step into that? Like, well, that's what Jesus wants. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to get involved in that. I'm not going to stay idle. I'm going to continue to rejoice in painful times. I'm going to continue to be loving and responsible with everything that God's given me and continue to run after him. And I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that competition in the church is still killing the church. It's ruining our reputation. It's like, well, I can't believe they let that person do this and I'm not allowed to do it. Like, no, we're, we've got so much to do. So many places for us to plug in and serve. And so, in the first chapter of Acts, we need to understand where Jesus is. We need to understand what the scriptures are here for. We need to understand the importance of learning to pray. And we need to understand the importance of us worshiping. And so, as the worship team comes back up, And as we get ready to step into the Lord's Supper, I just want to say, parents, if you want your children to participate in the Lord's Supper with you, at any point in time in these next couple of songs, you can go get them and let them. But we need to pray for a couple of things. Um, Number one, I think um, I saw um, Albert was here. Um, Would you grab your lanyard? And I'm not sure if any of our other elders are here this morning. But um, if you are needing prayer for, for sickness for yourself or a family member, I'd like for you to find your way to Albert this morning. Actually, he'll be back by the needs board here in the back by the sound area. Just go to him and just say, this is the sickness person that I need. And if the line forms along, we have to keep our prayer short and powerful like Jesus. Um, but um, the rest of us in here today, I would like for us in this first song to hold up the, the tensions in the world between nations right now. There are some things that are happening and being discussed and missiles that are being launched and things that are going on that we just need to say, Jesus, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And there are evil forces at work and there are responses to that and we need to ask the Lord to step into that. And so would you take time during this song to pray for the situations in the Middle East and other parts of the world that the Lord lays on your heart to ask for God's, Church to be alive in those places and to be strong and to give, our, give world leaders um, wisdom to know how to respond. And then the other response to this today is we have the Lord's table. I want us to come to the table, those of us that believe in Christ, this is an incredible way for us to respond because this is an example of what life is like. Jesus did this for us so that we could be this in the rest of the world like him. And so we come to the table and we break off that bread. This is his body broken for us, for you. We say it to one another. We dip it in the cup. This is his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. This is good news. And then we remind each other of that. But then we need to remind each other of the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And in the meantime, there's stuff for us to do. So we pray, we seek his face, we go to the scriptures, we look for encouragement so that we know what it's like to act in the world. What do we do until Jesus comes back? That's what I hope we can discover. So let me pray. Would you stand with me? And, so we, and I want you to pray for the nations. I want you to pray for the sick. And then I also want you to come to the table when you're ready and ask the Lord to help us to remember Who he was so that we know who we need to be in the world. Let's pray, Father.